Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss. But more importantly, it's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Okay, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for listening this week. Um, I've been trying to get this person on, and I hear about her through the people that I work with, through people that I podcast. So this is an important one because Claire Bidwell-Smith is joining today. And just so you know a little bit about her, she is a therapist, a renowned grief expert, and the author of three amazing books about grief. Um, One of the books, The Rules of Inheritance, is being turned into a series. And the one that I want to talk about is the um, newest book that she has called Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. So we have a ton to talk about in a short amount of time, but thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like it's been a long time coming. (laughs) We finally found each other in the grief world on a podcast. Um, so can you just tell us, Claire, a little bit about how you got here or just, you know, the grief that you experienced when you were younger, and then we can kind of talk about the two books. She's got a cat that we that's enjoying the podcast also. Who knows? Maybe it's a spirit from somebody. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, man, this is not what I wanted to be when I grew up. I didn't think I would be a grief therapist, but I guess those of us who've been through these experiences never quite imagine that we'll end up where we are. So I'm a therapist. I specialize in grief. I've written three books about grief and loss. I'm working on three more as we speak. And my most recent book, Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief, came out during the pandemic when the entire world was going through anxiety and grief. It was kind of phenomenal. It was nothing that I had ever imagined the world going through all at once. It was something I knew really personally after my mom died when I was 18. First thing was panic attacks. Ended up in the ER with panic attacks. And my parents had both gotten cancer at the same time when I was 14. Um, My mom died when I was 18, a freshman in college. And my dad when I was 25. But, you know, I just felt really unprepared to lose my mom, as we are, to lose anyone we love. But even though she'd been sick for a long time, I was 18 and I just couldn't fathom that people like your mom could die, you know? And when she was gone, the floor just dropped out from underneath me. And it was this time in my life when everyone was like, oh, you know, you should be fine. You're 18, you're an adult now, 
keep going to college, you know, just do your thing. It'll be okay. And and I wasn't okay. And I really struggled for a long time with anxiety in many different forms. And because everyone around me kept telling me that I should be fine, I thought there was something else wrong with me. And it took me a while to connect it to my grief and loss, just because it wasn't being written about anywhere. It wasn't being talked about. I think even now we're understanding trauma in new ways. You know what? At the time, I didn't even recognize it as a trauma. Interesting. It was when I was in a psychology class in grad school and I just kind of started putting the pieces together. Like, oh, I think my anxiety might be connected to all this loss I've been through. And when I was working in private practice years later, I started writing about anxiety and grief and all these different clients came to see me who were experiencing all kinds of forms of anxiety and grief. And I really got to know it on a whole new level. And so I felt like I had to write this book and put it out there because there wasn't anything out there about it. Yeah, no, I I think it's interesting because I had anxiety before my husband died. Typically, you know, I started, I actually started having anxiety when my kids were born. And mm-hmm. it was more this sense of, man, I really hope everything goes okay. And if it, if it doesn't, then I'm going to feel like this world is out of control. And I, I don't like that feeling. And I felt it for a really long time prior to him dying. But then the four years before he died, I had this this knowing that I was confusing with anxiety because there's a different feeling of intuition and anxiety. Mm -hmm. But I just think we don't, we're starting to talk about it more, but so much of what, at least from my perspective, grief is very physical. It's Mm -hmm. not like, it's not in your head. Like you don't walk around. I mean, you are sad, but the sad doesn't present as a thought. It presents as this like feeling and this, this, this way you walk through the world, like nothing makes sense, which is not in your head. It's it's your body doesn't know what to do or where to go. And when people say things like they did to you in college, like, well, just, you know, you at least you got to 18 and you just want to punch them. And you're like, is that, (laughs) how is that possible? You asshole, you know? But I do think people don't understand. and, and, And even those of us that are grieving don't understand how to manage it. And I feel like so many of the books that were written 20 years ago are just out of date compared to what what our world looks like now what, with social media. So, I mean, talk to me a little bit about what, what you recognized in that, the missing stage. Like, when did you realize that anxiety has to do with this event? And if I can address this event and I can go towards it as opposed to away from it and I can experience it, and I don't know if this is what what the what you've learned, but that for me is once I've experienced it and I own it, it has, it passes. Mm-hmm. It's when I'm keeping it. Yeah, absolutely. So. I felt like I really needed to learn to lean into my grief. You know, for years I had been trying to, you know, accept this message that I should be fine. So I was trying to be fine for a long time. The grief was scary. It was overwhelming. Like you said, it was just this full body, full life experience that I didn't have any context for, framework for, you know, no, you know, guidebook for. And so I ran from it a lot. I hid it. I pushed it away. I covered it up in many different ways, you know, and it was when I finally learned to sit and start leaning into it that I was able to understand it and move through it in a lot of different ways. Um, yeah, someone once like- told me that it, it's like anxiety is like, um, you know, when your car is on an icy road and it's skidding out and you're supposed to actually turn the wheel into it to get control over the car. It's like that. So you have to lean into it, which I love that, that idea. I love that idea. And that I think, and for me and for a lot of people, at least, I think that's where meditation becomes such a anchor for most of us mm-hmm. that don't want to feel anything, but all of a sudden you have to sit down 
and just be present with it. I think about like if you ever, if you have a kid and they're lost in a store mm-hmm. and they can't find the person and you can't find the person. That to me is a lot how grief feels mm-hmm. in the beginning. It's that kind of like, oh my God, where are they? Like, I don't understand. I don't, now I'm scared. I felt safe five minutes ago inside the store. Now I don't feel safe. Now every person I see looks like a, you know, child molester or whatever it is that makes you have that heart racing. And that's grief. People don't realize it's not logical. Like, oh, I'm 18. My mom's dead. Or, oh, my husband would have been sick anyway. So it's a blessing that he's like, that's all true. Yeah. But what's not true is- Logic doesn't work in these. No, because you have this panic inside of you that's a physical, I can't find the person that was my stable, steady person that said, you're okay in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's where the anxiety gets triggered in a huge way. So what do you, when you're working with clients and they come in and they're just, they've been stuck in grief for years or months or days. I mean, what's the first thing that you say, is this something you talk about early on? So it's always kind of like a a tandem approach that I do. I want to find out about their grief. What's their grief been like? And, you know, people come to see me in the first weeks after a loss. They come to see me years after a loss. But I really want to know right away, how much have they grieved? You know, have they been bottling it up? Have they been stuck? Have they been, you know, spinning and spiraling through one incarnation of it? Is there one thing about the loss that's, you know, they keep going back over and over something they're feeling stuck around like guilt or anger or something like that. What's the support system in their life like? You know, are people being supportive of their loss? Are people telling them to move on? Are they, you know, isolating in their grief? What has their grief process been like so far? Because it really informs a lot of that anxiety. And then we do a lot of practical things around the anxiety, meditation, mindfulness, some cognitive behavioral work, processing some trauma. Um, there's, you know, so it's like kind of this two-sided approach of really helping them lean into that grief and really helping them access practical tools for the anxiety. Yeah. And I, I always think about, cause I feel like every podcast, like there's, we talk about it so clinically and sometimes I don't think people even understand what, what we mean. And I don't think you understand it until you kind of when you, when you sit with it. But so when we're talking about meditation or where you're coaching people through cognitive behavior, are you, does it, are you telling them exactly what to do with their body? Are they, are, what's making it work? Is it that they are using practices that that then are changing their neural pathways and they're actually able to move that thought over? Are you pairing? I mean, when you say move to it from your experience, what does that do? When you do lean into it, are you are able to go like, okay, I'm going to sit with this horrible feeling for a while. What, what have you learned that does for a patient? Is, does it pass through? I mean, what is, what's your perspective on that from a clinical perspective? I think a lot of people, you know, don't always feel safe to grieve. They're scared to open up that box of it. You know, they're scared that they're going to fall apart. Um, maybe they have a really busy life, a job, kids, things that they have to take care of. They don't have room to fall apart. Or there's things that they really need support moving through, you know, pieces of a difficult relationship or some of their own stuff that they really need to sit with and they can't do it alone. So some of that is happening. I love meditation always, but for a couple of different reasons. One, because it relaxes the nervous system, obviously, but two, 
You know, my goal with meditation isn't to help someone achieve some kind of like Buddhist nirvana mountaintop state. It's really about learning how to be aware of our thoughts, learning how to notice our thoughts. You know, we wake up in the morning and our brains turn on and it's like it's like that little ticker tape at the bottom of the news screen that's like a million little things just start going by and you latch onto one and you follow it down a rabbit hole and before you know it, you're anxious. Maybe you look at your phone first thing and you read a scary news headline or, you know, what your best friend did last night for dinner and you're jealous or it makes it gives you some kind of feeling. And we just start following things down rabbit holes. And before we know it, we're having emotions that we didn't even mean to elicit. Um, and so when we meditate, we can learn how to see those thoughts, have them and not attach to them. Um, and that's a really important goal. You know, when we're grieving, so many different thoughts are coming up every second of the day throughout that grief process. And sometimes when we follow certain thoughts down rabbit holes, they really lead us into unexpected territory that can be, you know, really difficult to manage. So if you can help someone kind of learn how to sit with certain thoughts and maybe not follow them or attach to them all the time, it can really be helpful. Yeah, I'm the queen of just looping, looping. I mean, yeah. I, this brain, I used to say, and I don't feel this way as much anymore, which is progress, but I'm five years out. But that this that you know our brains are not a safe place to be most of the time because mm -hmm. they don't you don't the thoughts that are coming up have nothing to do with reality and they just they get hooked and i always try i mean i'm obsessed with meditation and i have been i mean it's the first thing i do it's the last thing i do and then i think i probably during the first two years probably spent a good amount of time on the floor just trying to find a little space and for me that's what meditation gives me is just a little space from just an onslaught of things that are future-based. Yeah, absolutely. That, that have nothing to do with reality and everything to do with, you know, nothing is changing in my life when I'm laying on my living room, but I'm I'm watching all these things play out. And I do that in good times and bad. I mean, if I meet someone, I'm like, I wonder if I'll marry him and we'll buy a house. And I, will I have more kids? And I was like, why am I 20 years ahead? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing for dinner, but I've somehow like planned out my whole life. So yeah, when we're grieving, we're spending like an enormous amount of time in the past, yeah. like rethinking and reviewing and going back over things. And then we're spending all this time in the future, like freaking out about stuff that hasn't happened. It may never happen. And so anything we can do to kind of bring our awareness back to the present moment, even just for like brief minutes, you know? Right. That's all. I mean, I listen, if I can get one second where there's where it's blank, I'm like, Lord have mercy. I'm, I'm healed. <laughs> So what do you do? I have a couple of friends in my, I, I struggle with this because I talk to a lot of widows and a lot of people with dead people, but it's not what I do for a job. I do it more, you know, it's a, something that just, I'll get a call from a friend that there's a neighbor or something. And there's a lot of that. But what do you do when you have people, like my, my experience was quite beautiful if I, the way I've spun it, because I had a wonderful husband for 22 years he died when I was out of the country for the first time in front of my kids, and it was awful. But if he had lived, he would have. He, he played football, so he had CTE. So we don't know what that life would have looked like. I had life insurance, which allowed me to have support, you know, financially, so I could stay home with my kids. And I'm I talk about that on every podcast because I think it's really important for people to understand. Res being having resources when you're going through grief is really really important, mm -hmm. and. I just, I can't say that enough because you can't tend to yourself and your kids or your mental health if you are worried about rent. Absolutely. And I, I know we don't like to talk about that because it feels kind of awful, but I'm committed to to saying that message as much as possible. 
No, I'm so glad you talk about that. It's so true that just the life ramifications that can come with, with certain losses, all kinds of losses, you know, are huge. They can cause anxiety. They can cause so much stress. They can cause so much more grief and sadness and fear. And a lot of people don't have resources to go through a big loss, you know? Most don't. And that's why I'm like, now if you're 25 you yeah. know, and you're healthy, just go get it. Get like 20 years and you'll figure it out. But When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah. So how do I help? And, and I know I'm terrible still. When someone dies, I mean, you think, you think once you've had grief, you get it. When people die, you like have the right things to say. I'm still like, what in God's name do I say to her or him? And it... Sometimes as you get better with grief, it feels farther away and it becomes more mechanical. I find myself being a little more mechanical about it. And I don't want to be that way, but I I kind of, everyone's in such a different spot. So I have a couple of friends who have really complicated grief. So either there was suicide or there was a bad relationship or there was abuse or there was things that, or they were drunk driving when they died or, mm-hmm. you know, how do we, how do we help people where my story, I sometimes feel like it's just, it's, it's, of course, I'm, I'm heartbroken, but I'm able to put it in a box that feels okay. So people are able to support me with like, he was great. It would have been awful. You know, you're, you're lucky. What do you do on the other side of that when someone's not lucky? Hmm, it's hard. I mean, I think this is why we struggle with grief in our culture, because it's hard to hear those stories and it's hard to know what to say and we don't know how to fix it or we can't fix it. I think it's really important to be able to just hold that space. And I'm sure you do it beautifully. And I I doubt it feels like enough ever. But I think in comparison, when someone has a really difficult loss or complicated grief, very few people around them are able to hold space for them to just be in that story and just have that story and just let them be sad and go through all the different feelings that they have, you know? Um, So many people will want to tidy up their story for them. They'll want to tidy up their grief for them. They'll want them to move on. So if there's anything you can do to just allow for them to be in that story and be who they are, that in itself is a real gift, you know, because most of the time we're just getting the opposite. No, that's true. And I mean, that's work. That's the work I think I learned early with my kids was for some reason, because I couldn't fix it. And their, their rage when I tried to was so evident. Mm -hmm. I was able early on to go like, oh, we're just going to be very miserable today, all of us together. 
And it's brutal. Like it's, it's you know, that is brutal. It's brutal. brutal. You just want to fix it. You want them to feel better. And Mm. we feel like that about all people that we care about when they're, when they're struggling. Um, But you know, often the real answer is just to let them be in that and be there with them as much as you can. We've, we've nailed that. And which is great because now they're teenagers. So now when they freak out, I'm like, oh, I've already got this. I just sit here and let you go like a lunatic about things that I, I don't even understand what you're talking about, but I'm able to sit there. I don't think I would have done it if, if I hadn't gone through losing Nate because I didn't. I, and it's really actually one of the most beautiful things in life to watch someone come out of a, a wave or come out mm-hmm. of a a cloud of whatever. And you're like, oh gosh, it really was just a moment that they needed to experience. And once you start to learn that, and I think meditation allows you to, you know, obviously the Buddhist allow us to sit with those feelings and teach us how to just wish them peace and ease. Yeah. I just, I, I always am concerned about how we, how we start these conversations when people have, have sudden loss versus when they have someone that's been sick and, you know, I, I don't know. So my other question is, and I know I we, I could talk about grief and anxiety forever, but talk to me about the physical ramifications of grief and, and the anxiety that comes with that. What have you learned about that? Because, and I, we talked a little bit before we went on mic, but I had a diagnosis after, you know, about two years after my husband died. And I know, I mean, I know in my brain, in my heart, I know that I was so scared and I didn't know how I was going to survive and how I was going to do this. And who was going to raise these kids properly, that my body just locked up. And I mean, I remember not being able to swallow. Mm. Like I couldn't, and I wasn't having a panic attack. It was just this constant, like, like yeah. I couldn't yeah. get my, and then when I got the diagnosis I didn't want, and I was able to kind of literally live through it, literally and figuratively, I, I am, I don't have that fear anymore because at this point I'm like, oh wait, I didn't, we don't have as much control over things as we we think. So what does it do to the body if grief isn't dealt with properly? All kinds of things, you know. I think we're so connected to our bodies and our emotions really manifest in those places, especially when we don't have the right places to let them out or move through them. I mean, if you just think about how when you feel sad, there's liquid that comes out of your eyes. I mean, think about it for a second. Think so then you'd go on to think about all the other feelings we can experience like fear and anxiety or anger and how those must manifest in our bodies. And I think for everyone it's different, but I do think that finding these healthy outlets is going to help your body stay healthy. I mean, look at Bessel van der Kolk's, you know, body keeps the score. There's just there's God. so many different ways that we process emotions and trauma and I think it's just vital that we find the proper outlets for them so that they don't end up showing up in our bodies. Have you worked with cases or people that have been through things that you just didn't think anyone could survive or be happy again? And they were. Yeah, absolutely. So many, you know, and I think that's the real beauty. I do think there's a lot of transformation in grief. I think that grief asks a lot of us um, and it's brutally painful at times, a lot of the time, but it asks us to like completely look at who we are, our lives, what matters to us, you know, why we're here, what we think of the world and each other. There's a lot of opportunities, I think, in grief to really kind of go deeper as a human being, to go deeper in relationships, but it's scary as hell, right? So, you know, it really is like the biggest ask. I love that grief asks a lot of us. I, I, I love that. I always say I wouldn't wish this on anybody and I wouldn't change it for anything. 
I know. I feel the same way. I just, I, and it's this, it's this magical moment where you go like, actually, they're okay. I can be okay. We're going to be okay. I'm going to die too. This whole thing is magical. Yeah. And it wakes you up. I mean, grief wakes you up to life. It does. If you so choose. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's like once you start to get to that realization that like, oh, everything's fine now. It's okay that your person died and you're always going to be like in this enlightened state now. No, it's more like a total roller coaster. You know, it's like every three days you have three minutes where you actually go like, I'm okay. And then the rest of it, you're, you're crawling back to it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about, so that what's the middle book? So we have the rules of inheritance. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? The Rules of Inheritance is the memoir about losing both of my parents and kind of finding my way as a young adult. And um, my middle book is called After This, When Life is Over, Where Do We Go? And I looked at the connection of um, what we believe about ourselves in the afterlife and how that impacts the grief process. And I dug into all kinds of stuff. I got into Buddhism, shamanism, saw psychic mediums, talked to priests and rabbis, did past life regressions. I I just did all this wild stuff, like to look into my own grief process and also all the clients that I was seeing. So that was fun. And then anxiety, the missing stage of grief. And I'm now working on a follow-up to the memoir called The Rules of Forgiveness for Zibby Books. And yes, congratulations. Kind of follows my journey as a grief therapist, but how this work informs my life, both good and bad, how working with this every day, sitting with people's stories every single day kind of changes how I see the world and the choices I make in it. Yeah, I love the middle book. What was the title again of that one? After, After this, When Life is Over, Where Do We Go? Yeah. I mean, that's something I think that God, I would love, that's another whole other podcast because yeah, your faith in your, that all day. yeah, I could talk about that. I mean, I have done everything I've done, plant journeys, I've done mm-hmm. psychedelics, I've done so many mediums. I mean, there somebody's making a lot of money over for me and I'm always trying to like make sure that they don't know. So I like call from a fake line and I give yep. them a fake name. I had, had like blocked phone numbers oh. and email addresses and paid in oh. cash and did all. A hundred percent. I'm like, you'll never get me. I've also realized that through those type of processes with grief, you know, you, you normally get the answers you're looking for because we all get to make the meaning out of whatever yeah, we get. And so it is, I believe in all of that stuff to the point where I mean, people think I'm crazy, but I just cannot fathom that we could just be walking around on a planet that's spinning and that we'd have it all figured out. Like this thing has to be way bigger than anything. Yeah. And and I do think faith, whatever it is, and I talk to my kids about this because they believe differently than me, probably because I believe too much and they're like, back up lady, we'll decide. But um <laughs> This idea that just like in the end, it really is all okay. But that's one of the thing that grief asks of us. You know, it asks us to like, what do we believe? What do we have faith in? In ways that we may have never asked before we, you know, before we had gone through a big loss. Yeah. And I love that religion somehow tries to tell us that they have it all figured out. And I'm like, it's not possible that, I mean, no one knows. So you don't stop. Everyone needs to always have like an asterisk over whatever they believe, because it really is your own personal gut feeling or your own thing that gives you peace. There's just nobody yet has come back from the dead and tapped anybody on the shoulder specifically and videoed it. And we see it like it's magical. So you get to believe whatever gives you peace, which I absolutely love. What's your favorite part? I mean, obviously, did you go into therapy and helping people because of your experience? Was that always on your mind, even in college? I always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid growing up. That's all I ever wanted to be. And so that's what I majored in in my undergrad and then was already working on a book. 
in my early 20s. And then after my dad died, I finally went to therapy and I really loved the process. And I think there's a lot of crossover, you know, therapy is about exploring people's narratives and sometimes helping them, you know, edit them, rewrite them, understand them in new ways, explore their own stories in different ways. So I think there's a lot of interesting weaves between, you know, therapy and storytelling. Um, yeah. So yeah. And then I went back and got my master's and became a clinical psychologist. <laughs> okay. So and I'll, this will be my last question, but how do you, if you talk about grief all day and you work with people with grief all day, what keeps you joyful and what, what keeps you grounded in the other part of life, which isn't loss, which is new beginnings and new, it, it, is it all tied together? How do you not get jaded or sad? Like what's your, how do you barrier yourself as a therapist to, to really just be able to, is it the kind of what we talked about, just you hold their space or what is it that keeps you feeling grateful when you do this hard work? I think, you know, it's a couple of things. I think doing this work and listening to these stories all day, it's, it, it's a way of, it just makes me appreciate my life so much. It makes me appreciate even the smallest moments that I would have taken for granted. You know, I'm just awestruck sometimes that we're here at all and that we get to have these this time with each other. And the grief I do, the grief work I do, I mean, it's always, it's all relationships, you know, and it's, I see so much beauty and like, wow, we can love each other so much through terrible things and wonderful things and be with each other in like the most emotionally intimate ways that you might never even imagine possible. And so I think there's a lot of beauty that I do see in it. It is sad. And sometimes it causes me heaviness or anxiety, but really mostly it just informs like the most beautiful world that I feel lucky to be here all the time. I love it. Well, I knew you were special because everybody that I talk to talks about how great you are, but I, I feel the same way. I'm, I'm so freaking grateful to be alive. And it's not the opposite. You think when you lose someone, you'd be jaded or you'd be sadder. And I am more joyful, more passionate, more grateful to be here on this planet. Yeah. Not in spite of, but because of the great grief, you know? Me too. Me so. too. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Good luck with all the stuff. I actually like follow everything that you guys are doing because I'm watching Kyle and all those people, but it's, I can't wait to see this show come out and I'm looking forward to reading both, both the books, but I'm going to wait now, I'll wait and watch the rules of inheritance because now that's on TV because you're getting <laughs> famous and you've got shows and things thank are you. happening. So congratulations on all of that. It's awesome. I- Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for being on. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep going. It gets better. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.